if you would like to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 11. We're starting a six-week series on prayer, which is going to take us for more than six weeks, because we will be having different sermons interspersed throughout it. If you guys need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and Mike's, Mike's got some for you. So Luke 11 is where we will be. Starting at verse 1 and going through verse 13. Yes, if you're following the screen, it's not Luke 4. It's Luke 11. Luke 11, 1 through 13. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll... We will dig in. Um, I'll really quickly just say wh- why we're going through prayer, and you'll, you'll figure this out as we go through the sermons. But um, I was actually thinking of this as I was sitting down because it is really interesting to wear one of these. Um, I've been to a lot of large conferences where they, they wear these. And when you go to a conference, I don't know if you're terrified of speaking. Uh, after a number of years, I haven't become terrified, I've become non terrified of speaking. And, and so you think, well, what would it be like to, to be up there speaking with something like this? And, and you fantasize about it, and then um, <laughs> you have dreams about wearing one of these and standing on a stage. And, but the reason why we're talking about prayer is kind of the opposite of that, where we're, the reason why we come here is for intimacy with God. We want to know more about him. And, and as I was sitting there thinking about this, I, I was thinking, you know, all I want, all I want for myself and, and those that are coming is to get to know him better. Um, that's, that's the goal of it. And, and I, I hope and I pray that as we go through this sermon series on prayer, that, that we'll come out at the end of it knowing how to communicate with God better. Um, you know, it's not so we can use fancy words or talk about it in lofty terms, but the goal of it is so that we can know him better, that you can have intimate times with God. And so that's, that's my prayer. Um, pray with me really quick as we begin. Oh God, you have been faithful to us in more ways than we know. As was shared earlier, there are ways that, that we see so clearly revealed in, in family members seeing something in you and about you that we couldn't have explained to them. Uh, maybe seeing something grow up in our own hearts that we just say, thank you, Jesus, for showing me how much you love me because I forgot. And I pray that as we have these minutes together, this hour together, God, that you will speak, you'll communicate through me uh, your truth, and we'll just celebrate it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll get into Luke 11, but if you'd look a little earlier, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to tell you the story. In Luke 4, Jesus and his disciples 
had a really busy day. They woke up, they went to the synagogue, Jesus was asked to speak. And it says that he speaks with power and authority. He speaks in such a way that, that when people heard him, they knew that what he was speaking wasn't just relevant for the moment, but it was relevant forever, right? They heard his words and they were like, this is foundational for life itself. And, and no, they'd never heard anyone like it before. And as he was finishing, it says someone stood up in the crowd and looks at Jesus and he says, Ha, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus looks in the direction of the man who spoke that, but seemingly looking not beyond the man, but to something that was in the man, said to him, be quiet, come out of him. And the man falls limp to the ground. And when he wakes up, he is free. Which reminds us of a brief moment earlier where Jesus had said in the words of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for every prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so they leave from that spot and they go to the house of Simon Peter where his mom is sick and Jesus, it says, bends over her and she is healed. And then it says, for the rest of the night, the whole people from the whole region, literally the city empties and they come to the house of Simon Peter and people are just getting healed all night. This is an exhausting day. And then what happens is everybody goes to bed, they wake up, where's Jesus? And so they go out looking for him and they find Jesus in a secluded place all by himself praying. And then we enter into chapter 11, and this is where we find it again. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So as I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love how mysterious Jesus' teachings are sometimes when he puts us as the person knocking at the door and, and God in the place of the person going, don't bother me. <laughs> so we'll discover what that means in a second. <laughs> so why do his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray? Do we need to be taught to pray? If you're in church a very long time, you'll find two things are spoken of often. Do, do, do these things. And that's read your Bible and pray, right? You're not going to be there long until someone's like, oh, I'm wrestling with something. You're like, well, you've been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? Right? And so after a while, just you'll know that those are the expectations. If you want to be a good Christian, you read your Bible and you pray, right? And we assume from these things that they're both necessary, which is correct, and they're natural, Right? We assume that everyone should be able to do it. Everyone should be able to read their Bible and pray. But, but really, nothing is further from the truth. In our experience, when we go to read the Bible and we go to pray, it doesn't feel natural at all. Right? Every week, I talk to people who go, I just, I open my Bible and... <laughs> It's the least interesting thing to me at all. And I'm like, how long did it take you to read Harry Potter? And they're like, three hours. <laughs> so why is it so unnatural, should be the question, why is it so unnatural to read your Bible? Right? It's so hard to pray. Well, how long did you talk to a girlfriend on the phone? Three hours. Right? Why, so we, we don't seem to have a problem <laughs> With, with communicating, with reading. Some of us do struggle with those things, but, but we know that those things are, are just part of living, right? And when God asks us to do those things, which seem so natural, nothing seems more unnatural to us. So we need to be taught. And we need to begin there, understanding that we need to be taught. We need to approach today asking the same question, Father, teach us to pray, because I don't know how to pray. Last time I talked to somebody about prayer, I said, how do I pray? And they say, it's just natural. You just utter words to God. And I, and I knew, God, that, that that wasn't really, it just doesn't work like that for me. Right? So teach me to pray. If you watch a child begin walking, you understand that it's a process, Right? If you watch an Olympic miler run, you realize that that takes teaching and training, right? Or for Sarita's sake, if you watch an Olympic hurdler, right? You watch that, and, and right, there's nothing more natural than running. Sounds like, yeah, right. <laughs> right? But it's something that we, we do and something that we, we participate with often. But, but what does it look like to say, but I know I'm not good at that? I know there's more to it. I know that to run my first mile, let alone race my first mile, it's going to take someone showing me the ropes, right? How do I do this? And when we come to Jesus and we see Jesus, it was something that 
he didn't just pray, he lived by prayer. In a beautiful little book called The Praying Life by Paul Miller, he writes this, he says, Jesus without question was the most dependent person that ever lived. Jesus without question was the most dependent person that ever lived. When Jesus tells us that apart from me you can do nothing, he is inviting us into his life of living dependence on his heavenly father. When Jesus tells us to believe, he isn't asking us to work up some spiritual energy, which is often what we think it is. He is telling us to realize that like him, we don't have the resources for life. When you know that you, like Jesus, can't do life on your own, then praying makes complete sense. And, and when it's talking about Jesus in that way, it's because, right, and we're familiar with Philippians 2, it says, although he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a man. And in taking on the very nature of a man, he experienced dependence upon God. And Jesus showing us in his life what that looked like to be man because we had forgotten what it meant to be human. And Jesus was like, I'm going to live and show you what it means to be human because, because what should be natural, talking with God, wanting to know his thoughts, waiting upon him, which is, yes, natural, but we're not natural people anymore, right? We, we live by sinful desires or just the confusion of our own wisdom, right? Jeremiah 17, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. And so we, so we live in this reality, right? That what should be natural just isn't. So how do we get back there? And Jesus showed us by living the most dependent life that anyone has ever lived, that moment by moment, day by day, he lived from every word that came from the mouth of the Father, he told us that I live by the words that come from the mouth of the Father. That's how, that's how I exist. And if Jesus did that, how much more, how much more should we? So as we enter into this lesson Jesus gives people on prayer in Luke 11, we find that, that as God does supply our needs in every way, through prayer, it's not merely a supply line that we use prayer for. It's like at the coffee oasis, right? The, the stores all need to call Kristen every week and tell her what we need on the shopping list so that Mike can pick it up every week. And sometimes they forget, and so Kristen has to call them. And, uh, and if there wasn't relationship, that'd be miserable, right? And sometimes it is miserable, Right? <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want to have to call and be like, remember, remember the shopping list, right? <laughs> right? And, and so if he comes into this formalized, like, I'm just going to insert this here and then get, and that's not what prayers. And so, so Jesus articulates, seeing in, in chapter 11, 11 or, uh, chapter 11, three relationships that, that I think are really, well, are very helpful to us as we begin to understand prayer. Prayer as, of, as relationship, as communicating with God, and, and we'll learn from this. The first is, um, is, is God is king. 
God as king. And it starts, the, the Lord's Prayer starts out, Father, hallowed be your name. And we're gonna, we're gonna see God as Father again later here in the chapter. But immediately it jumps into, so hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not to temptation. God as, as king, if we pray your kingdom come, we're acknowledging that God is king. And what does that look like? And what the Bible talks about this is in very intimidating terms, right? So usually we're like, start prayer naturally. Jesus is your homeboy. Just give him a shout out and he'll shout out back to you. But the beginning is God is king. And this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about God as king. It says, in, in Daniel 4, it says, Then I praised the Most High and honored him and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. In Isaiah 66, it says, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In Isaiah 63, it says, He is robed in splendor striding forward in the greatness of his strength. In Isaiah 6, it says the train of his robe fills the temple. And it says that the angels are just crying out, holy, 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 nonstop. In Revelation 17, it says that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Right? And so to describe this to you, I made up a word greaterness right whatever is great god is greater and sometimes you have to make up words because people don't get it if you use other words right when we come and we say father hallowed be your name honor honor to your name your name is greater than any other name right your thoughts aren't our thoughts your higher your thoughts are high above our thoughts your kingdom endures forever right earth this planet that we stand on or sit on is his footstool <laughs> there is no god like god greaterness Whatever you think is great, God is way greater, right? And when we, so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're talking about a God who is greater. So the way it expresses it here is, right, so, so supply our daily needs. God, you are a supplier. You as king are our supplier. You as king are judge, right? Forgive us our sins because only you can do that. Right? You are our leader. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So when we start understanding about God as king, the relationship between us and him, first of all, is one of just saying, and it, uses the, it literally is saying, it's, it's one of, you are so great, God, that I just ask that your kingdom will invade this place. Right? What's your relationship to us at this point? You as king, it's one of you invading us. Right? I just pray that you will take over. Right? It doesn't necessarily sound intimate. It sounds powerful. Right? God, when we, 
we want you to invade this place. And so when we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we, we do say Father, and it gives us this intimacy of it, but, but it's your kingdom come. And, and, and we don't often remember that, <laughs> that, that God is mighty. As we sing the song, you know, our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you're higher than anyone other. You're, you are greaterness. <laughs> <laughs> you're just greater than anything we can imagine and, and, and our prayers won't be correct unless we realize how great God is. The second relationship he describes to us becomes more intimate and it's the relationship between friends, us pounding on the door, right, saying, we need bread. <laughs> and it's neat here. It says, so those that ask will be given. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. But isn't that strangely backwards? Right? Who asks before they knock on the door? Right? Ask, seek, knock. As I was studying this, I was like, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> right? Why does it say ask, seek, knock. I think partly is we don't really know what we're asking for, what we're seeking, or necessarily what's behind the door. <laughs> and we come to him and we ask. I think literally what we're asking for, first of all, is just what we think we need. And, and then we'll, we'll see how that works into seeking and acting. But first I'll just say that we have an asking, I think we have an asking problem in, I don't know if it's around the world, probably is, but definitely in America, we have an asking problem where, where we seem to like fall into two different categories unless we fall in the beautiful middle, baby, baby bear's porridge, you know, the, the perfect. Um, either, so the, our asking problem is that either we are people that don't ask for anything, you know, we're self-reliant, we're self-made, and so we will not rely on anyone. Or our asking oftentimes is that kind of that asking where, where you're really tired of people asking because all they do is ask, and you're like, God gave you two hands, right? And, and so with our asking issue, th there, there is a friction in community when we were, so we're looking for people to be able to be in a relationship where they actually can ask, hey, I'm, I'm moving on Saturday. Could you help me move? And you see this corruption probably most clearly in, in churches in the form of tithing, right? Which sometimes becomes an awkward issue because you're like, hey, if you'd like to give your money because it's in the Bible, you can do that. And you're like, are you asking me for money? Right? <laughs> uh, Right, and so we just have this asking issue. We're asking just this awkward thing, right? How do we, how, what do we do with it? And I think James sheds some light on it. In James 4, he says this, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So when you're, you ask, you don't get why, because you ask with the wrong motives. But you're like, well, didn't it just say ask and you'll be given? <laughs> K 
Can I just ask whatever I want and I'll be given? Well, that's the interesting thing as it leads us from asking, which reveals our motives to seeking, right? Ask and then seek. And so it says, how, how are you guided by this? It says, well, see, so seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then those things will be added to you. Or he says, delight yourself in the Lord and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so what asking does is it reveals the motives of our heart and it might not be to you, it might just be to yourself or maybe it's just to God, right? And see, as you're asking and your motives are revealed, right? And then the seeking begins, right? Is that really what God desires or is that just something that I desire, And then we knock, and the knocking here in this story is this, this persistence that as we ask, which so often is our own motives, and then we seek, God, what is your will? And then we, we knock because we're finding out what God's will is, and we're like, I, I realize that, that my will and God's will so often is in conflict, right? And so the knocking is this persistence, be persistent in prayer is God's constant message. And why would it be? Obviously, he hears the first time. Why is he asking for you to be persistent? And he uses this often in the Bible, saying, keep doing it, keep knocking, neg him, right? It's crazy. It literally says that where in, in the parable of the, the widow who negs the judge, right? Be persistent. How does this look like in our lives? Is we're going, okay, how... What is this? I don't get this. It's all backwards to me. This is how it looks. Imagine you're a young man who wants to be married. And so you ask God. God, I'm about that age. Marriageable age. And I'm very marriageable, I feel like, God. So, I'm putting in my request <laughs> that uh, you would find me a beautiful, godly woman. <laughs> That's your will, right? So, we've asked. And then the seeking comes. Well, what is my heart's desire? What is God's heart's desire? Is God's greatest desire for me that I get married? Or is my, God's greatest desire for my life that I would realize that I should be his bride? Right? And so, so then if we begin seeking, we begin pers persisting in that seeking, saying, well, you know, marriage isn't just a word. and You know, marriage isn't just one act that you do. It's pretty serious. And so we begin seeking what that really, what does it really mean to be married? Right? So I put in the request, and I'm, what, what does that mean? Man, I begin studying it, and, and I say, well, God, I'm recanting that request. <laughs> no, we say, we say, God, transform me, because I am not ready to be married. I am, I am a mess. And if I got married right now, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming maybe she's perfect, but... If she's anything less than that, God, we're going to be a mess together unless you help out. And so we begin persisting in what it looks like to be faithful 
before we have to be faithful in marriage, what it looks like to be loving before you're loving in marriage. And we knock and we knock and we knock. And we persist and we persist and we persist. What does this look like in our prayer life? We ask of the Lord things and we say, God, this looks terrific. And then we seek him saying, but God, I know this looks terrific, but I realize that my thinking is this big and and your wisdom is so much greater than mine. God, I'm going to keep seeking you in this. I'm going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and everything that I need will be added in me. I believe that, right? I'm going to delight myself first in you and then you'll give me the desires of my heart because the desires of my heart are changing. They're changing because what I asked was corrupt. Even if it sounded so holy and so good, my heart is corrupt and so what I'm asking for is corrupt, right? And so in Romans 8, it says the spirit groans because we don't know what to say. And praise God for that because my asking by my nature is corrupt. And so, so then we persist, right? It's going, God, by your grace and by your mercy, open the door, right? And, and that, so, so this, this process of asking and seeking and knocking is really God transforming us to trust and obey him. And so when he gives us what is good for us, we'll say, thank you. Thank you, because I didn't, I didn't see that when I asked. Right? If you're the person that gets bitter because you've asked something and he hasn't just thrown it at you, man, you don't understand what prayer is. Prayer is an act of relationship with God where he knows how to give good, give good gifts. And that's the third relationship we're going to look at. Because the relationship with a king and relationship with a friend is somewhat uncertain, but a relationship with a father should be certain. And I know this is a hard one because some people haven't had certain relationships with their father. But in the scripture... The way it it presents the way a relationship with a father should be is one that is is good, where the father is blessing their children with what not only what the child thinks they need, but with what the child actually needs. And it's sort of built into the system when in the commandments, and yes, it is one of the ten big ones. It says, honor your father and your mother. And it's the first commandment that gives a blessing, right? Honor your father and mother and you will be blessed because of that, right? And so God is working this into the framework of what should be natural for us to then see him as father and say, well, I honor you. You know what's best. And in Proverbs, it says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck, Right? And so when we come to him as father, we come to one who is more wise than us. But we're tied to him in such a way that it's a blood tie, right? That, that we understand this in a natural relationship, but literally in what Jesus did on the cross, we have this, this blood connection with God himself, right? That, that he will never leave us or forsake us because we are his, if you come to him as your child, as his child, and you are his, there's not that fear. Will he forsake me? No, because you are tied to him. 
And so when we come to him, we realize that he is good. And he knows how to give good gifts. And his good gift, as hopefully we've gone, gone through that, that transforming process of ask, seek, knock, his good gift for us, it says here, is the Holy Spirit. And this might seem strange to us until we again realize who's talking. It's Jesus talking. Lord, teach, teach us to pray. <laughs> He's saying, well, it's, it's like he's a king. It's like he's a, a friend. Well, he's a father. And the greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. And we realize who's talking. It's Jesus who is living the most dependent life of anyone who's ever lived. And his dependence is upon the Holy Spirit. Right? For every action he does, for all his power, he, when he gets exhausted because he's getting exhausted, he secludes himself and prays. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens your soul. It's the Holy Spirit who counsels you in truth. And it's the Holy Spirit who reminds you of your identity in God. And so it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? On Friday this week, I went to bed I wasn't discouraged and I wasn't depressed, but it was one of those nights where you just aren't feeling anything and they can be discouraging because of that. And, and I remember thinking, I'm teaching on prayer on Sunday and I feel like my prayers aren't leaving the room. And, and so I went to bed and I, uh, I woke up and I, I, I climbed to this, this mountain place where I go all by myself. And it was the best time with God I've had in years, years. It was so beautiful. And I, um, and I was wondering, you know, what's the difference between Friday and Saturday? And, and really, there isn't really a difference is the crazy thing. Um, and I think we need to realize that when we come to him. As we, as we come from God is king, whether we see his kingship or not. God is a friend whether or not we're persisting in it, right? God is our father whether or not we're acknowledging him or honoring him like he is if you're a Christian. And so when I went to bed on Friday night, I was secure. Maybe I wasn't enjoying it like I wish I was. But then on Saturday morning, I just this this beautiful time with him. And, and it was one, it was because it was, it probably was the first Sabbath I really had in a really long time, honestly, where I was just like, I, I spent the morning in prayer. I studied for a while for today, but then last night I read the whole third Hunger Games book. It's really relaxing for me to read. And uh, can we take that out of the sermon? Um, <laughs> just, um, you know, and I, I just had this really sweet time all day, just like, again, realizing my dependence upon him. You know, it's, it's not dependent upon me, even this, you know, this church, God has, God has placed us as elders, as shepherds over the church. Um, but praise God, it's not by our own strength, you know? I mean, praise God that when you guys, you guys come, we're coming to listen to the word of God, you know, as we talk about the scripture. It's not just coming to listen to what I've gained in my vast 26 years of experience. You know, it's coming to, coming to, to hear again. God, what are, you, what are you saying? 
And so as we go the next, f- next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the lives of different people in the scripture. We're going to be looking at Moses and Samuel and Hannah, David. We're going to be looking at the character of prayer, what it looks like. You know, it talks about Moses being the meekest man or the humblest man, and that's how he approached God. It talked about Elijah being righteous, and so he was heard. Right? We're going to talk about David and Hannah, who we're, co- we're going to call that sermon the head and the heart because, because they pray with a lot of truth, but they're like emotionally out of whack, you know? You're like, these guys are crazy. <laughs> David's like, you're awesome. Next week, he's like, kill these people, right? And, and Hannah is praying so vigorously that they think she's drunk, <laughs> right? And so w- when, we, when we are going through these next sermons, we're going to begin looking at these people who, like us, will be stumbling through this process of communicating with God. But we're reading in the scriptures to see that it's possible, Right? To get to know God in such a way that you can communicate with him and enjoy him. And that he can, he can tell you his thoughts and reassure you of, of his goodness. Um, and so I just pray as we, as we go into this sermon series that you guys will remember that we're coming into a relationship with him. That we need to honor him as king. We need to persist with him as a friend. <laughs> Right, letting him shape us. And, and then that last one, that we, we just, we say to him, God, you know what's good. And I just want to listen. I want to listen again to hear what that is. So I pray you'll have more quiet moments in the next eight weeks than you've had in the last eight years. You'll take more time just to be alone with him because you won't hear him unless you take time to, Right? It's like what your wife or husband has been telling you for the last eight years, right? Unless you take time, this relationship won't grow, right? It, it takes time. It's, you have to be purposeful with it. But it's, it's absolutely worth it because God makes himself available to us. Who will come, who will ask, who will seek, and who will knock. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So as we go into this next time, we're going to practice, or not practice, we're going to take communion together. And there, is, there are a few moments that offer a better time to be still and know that he is God than communion. In giving communion, Paul, again, he reminds us, he says, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and he said, this is the body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then then Paul says what's crazy. He says, and whenever you get together, just do this. Every time you get together, right? Never forgetting, never forgetting, because we so quickly forget what it means Right, that when Jesus died, the, the, the curtain in the temple, which people had gone to the temple to meet with God, literally to pray, they'd gone there to, to meet with him. And, and when that, that, that curtain was torn, it was literally this unleashing of the Holy Spirit as, as you get in, uh, in Luke 4 that we'd read earlier, right? Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, right? When the oppressed would be freed, when those in bondage would be freed. And, and so... 
And so I want us to see really, really purposeful as we, as we take communion today, what it means to take these elements. It's remembering that because of what Jesus did, that we can pray. Uh, that we can approach his throne with boldness. So please do that with us. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll take communion and sing. God, I pray that you will use these next weeks to radically rearrange our lives. God, I know there's things that we've had on the bottom shelf of our life that you want to move to the top shelf, things that you just want to to show us about yourself, not merely through the preaching on Sunday mornings, but through our times with you on a day-to-day basis. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that maybe things that seem so unnatural like prayer and reading of the scripture could seem natural to those who are here. God, that you'll just bless them with time with you this week and they will persist in it. God, we seek these things from your hand. You are our supplier. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.